thank you for joining us for the next hour or two in this episode of Inside Myanmar podcast. In an age of nearly limitless content, we appreciate that you're choosing to take valuable time out of your day to learn more about what is happening in Myanmar. It's vital for this story to be heard by people around the world, and that starts right now with you. Welcome to this episode of Insight Myanmar podcast. We have two speakers on that are both from Action Corps. We're going to learn a little bit more about their organization and what they what they've done historically as well as how they've been involved recently with Myanmar. So our guests today are Isaac Evan Franz and Jade Justice. I'd like to welcome both of them for joining this platform. So Isaac and Jade, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your voices and some of the activities that you're doing. Thanks so much for having us. Thank you for having us. Mm, so let's start with Isaac. Isaac, if you can tell us your role at Action Corps, as well as before we get into Myanmar, if you can just give us a bit of history in terms of what your organization is, what your mission is, and what some of your past activities have been. Mm-hmm. So Action Corps is a humanitarian advocacy organization that grew out of the NGO Oxfam America. We are independent from Oxfam. Our mission is to champion justice and solidarity with people facing disasters around the world, climate disasters, violent conflict. We campaign for U.S. policy to save lives around the world. We do this by bringing together people from all different walks of life around the United States to advocate for policies to save lives, and that's with their member, mostly with people, members of Congress. We played a major role in the passage of the Yemen War Powers Resolution to stop illegal U.S. participation in the war in Yemen, and we continued to lead a national coalition uh, to address the humanitarian crisis in Yemen, which the United States continues to enable. We organized a Global Day of Action, World Says No to War on Yemen, in 2021, which became the largest anti-war mobilization since 2003. We convened over 100 different organizations in advocating for the release of emergency financial resources from the International Monetary Fund called Special Drawing Rights, which in 2021, was they made the largest release in the history of the institution of those financial resources that were really important for low-income and middle-income countries. And we continue to advocate for another such release. Uh, we... Um, have also been involved with advocacy for ethnic people in Burma in solidarity with the groups that are 
doing that work from the United States. And that, that work we, we started uh, long before the coup and played a role with the passage of the Burma Act in mm-hmm. um, late last year and um, are currently um, advocating for passage of a Senate Resolution 20, which condemns the Burma coup and would pressure the Biden administration to enact, enact sanctions on the Myanmar military. So that's a little bit about what we've been up to, and I'm glad to, an- to answer more questions or pass it over to Jade. Yeah. So to follow up on that, you know, there's a lot of problems in the world, to, uh, say the understatement of the year and many different uh, injustices and things that one can be involved with. So from an organization like yours, how do you determine which projects you're going to focus on, which countries are going to be area of concern? And with that in mind, how and when as well did Burma start to become on your radar as something that you really wanted to devote some of your resources? as an organization to understanding and supporting? Well, it's come down to where we see an opportunity to make a difference, where we see there's a problem and the, the scale of the problem facing humanity, and then, well, what's our connection and where we, where can we speak up and help move policy? We became in, involved with the crisis in Myanmar that when we heard about the Rohingya people and the genocide, we were one of our... Our founding board members was in Indiana, where there's a community that folks who are were really concerned about the crisis and doing humanitarian solidarity work, fundraising, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And we saw, okay, well, let's, let's we connected with folks who are working on U.S. policy. So that's um, it's it's been as we've learned about different crises. Currently, we're mm-hmm. organizing a, an event about the crisis in Sudan. Um, because that's that's going on right now, and we see a need for discussion and for education. But a lot, a lot, the work in having to do with Yemen was because the largest, the, the home of the largest humanitarian crisis on the planet, is in Yemen, and so just the sheer scale, mm-hmm. and then the, the role of the United States, um, and and similarly with with Burma, there the the United States could be playing a, a role that was much stronger in stopping the persecution of ethnic peoples in, in Burma and helping support the d- democracy movement in the country. Mm, right. And so you referenced this background of of being involved in Yemen, particularly, and uh, and Sudan, as well as other conflicts in other countries. And so I'd be interested to ask you, especially from someone like myself that really hasn't been looking so much at other crises, let alone involved with. I'm really just focused on on this because it's a country I spent so much time in and, and have so many connections to. But as someone who's been involved with these other crises in other parts of the world, have have you seen different similarities or commonalities running through them where you're able from your experience with a previous one you're able to apply it with something that you're you're now seeing in Burma that maybe maybe gives you a bit of perspective or a shortcut into it yes I think we have we have certainly learned from these campaigns and able to apply some of some of that knowledge um you know, one of those, and one of those things, and and Jade could talk more about this, but there's just the importance of relationships. So sometimes it's it's like our relationship that we built with particular Senate offices around the the Yemen solidarity work. We were able to go back to those offices and say, we'd like to talk to you about another issue that's important to us: mm-hmm. the genocide and, and persecution in Myanmar. And you know, we had a we had already had that path to the, those staff members in those Senate offices. So that's an example of how you know these 
um, it's these relationships are so so mm-hmm. key filled with congressional offices. And I think also an understanding of the just the power of grassroots, the power of everyday people around this country in the United States, and and also seeing this in other countries as well. Um, we've been super inspired by the the movement for democracy and human rights in Myanmar, and like the the idea that everybody from where they wherever they are can speak up and can make mm-hmm. a difference. Um, and these are what regardless of what the issue is. Mm, Great. So let's go over to Jade. And if you could tell us a bit about your background, about when the coup first happened and your immediate response, both personally as well as what you started to do, and then how you became involved in Action Corps and what you've been doing there. Absolutely. So I actually grew up as a Kachin American. Um, You know, both my parents are Kachin from Burma. And Growing up in the United States, I was always made aware of the issues that were happening over there um, back at home. And I couldn't help but to feel that I had some sort of duty or some sense of responsibility towards the people back in my home country, you know, um, who are really just going under terrible poverty. And on top of that, as we saw later, you know, the 2021 coup. So what I was already doing prior to the coup was um, getting involved myself like into some uh, Burma advocacy work uh, which was through stand I got a little foothold into that um, that was like my foot in the door kind of entryway and once I got involved with stand the student-led movement to end genocide and mass atrocities um, I served as the Burma committee co-lead there for about two years and I, I believe in my second year um, that was when I really started venturing even further out because I wanted to get even more involved you know and get even more into the grassroots and that's when I got connected with Action Corps through Stand and it it was as if like one door led to another and I you know just made my way there um, got connected with Isaac and all these other friends that were part of Action Corps and really saw the powerful um, actions that they were all taking together and um, just yeah, all the passion that we they were really putting in together, um, community, you know, and going back to what Isaac was saying about the power of relationships, I really saw the power of connection and relationships, especially within the um, Action Corps community itself, and how they were really just, um, you know, uh, I guess, harnessing that um, so that we could all continue moving forward to, you know, make these stronger connections, again, with like, you know, um, House and Senate offices, um, to continue showing also solidarity amongst our own peoples, um, myself included, you know, uh, being an ethnic Kachin person, being connected with um, someone else who's ethnically Yemeni herself, like, you know, Auntie Samaya, who's within Action Corps. Um, I felt like these relationships uh, was were really powerful in a sense of solidarity so that we could further advocate for one another's causes and see the larger picture in the world of what we were really advocating for, which is, you know, just people who are in need all over the world. Mm, right. And it's quite some time this resistance movement has continued, both in the country and out of the country. And we, we've we seen a real kind of awakening of the many members of the younger generation in Myanmar. I've had so many countless interviews where there were so many people that were in that were caught up in different parts of the transition there and didn't have this political consciousness. And so I'm wondering what you found of the range of responses of the younger members of the diaspora you've seen in how in in creating a sense of political consciousness or awakening or or maybe not so much or maybe happening in different qualities. But what have you seen among other kind of members of the youth diaspora in Myanmar around the world? 
Right. Um, I love that you asked this question because it's actually so important. I really do wish personally that a lot more young people like myself from the diaspora would get more involved. It seems as if we're all really on put on a lot of different scales, you know, of the situation. Um, if I were to say, for example, for myself, I, I really do find a lot of privilege, which is why um, like privilege in my own standing, which is why I knowing this really do want to make use of this privilege so that I could further help people on the ground. Um, and I would say not everyone is fortunate enough to be in the same position as I am, which is the sad reality. Um, some people are out here, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, probably. Um, some people have come as refugees, which is different from my situation. My circumstance is that my parents came as immigrants, economic immigrants, you could say. Um, whereas some other friends of mine uh, within the refugee community, they, they didn't come that way. You know, they came uh, literally to flee war in the on the country, in the ground. So. You have different um, starting points, I would say, like when it comes to being um, a, a diaspora member in the United States or wherever else around the world. Um, I would also say that if I do, like, you know, um, refrain from talking too much about the 2021 coup, it's just because it's all been a blur in my mind, to be honest. Um, I just remember uh, this is, again, where I have so much privilege in being able to sit behind a laptop, you know, and type away and just do whatever work I, I need to do, like mentally to help out. Um, as much as I can with people um, on the ground. But yeah, um, it's it's been a lot of mental work, I would say, um, when addressing these kind of issues. And even with reaching out to other diaspora members, it's all like pretty much online, I would say. Um, so mm -hmm. having like fast fingers to type away or just, you know, even being able to communicate fast um, with other people and organize people in a fast fashion, it's all been a lot of mental work. So yeah. Um, I, I just remember anything from the coup was that we really had to be in this zone um, and having all these other colleagues help along with that was super um, important. Um, and I would say a lot of people with this political consciousness, what they really need is um, just to even further go into their themselves, like really identify who they are. Um, I think I'm really fortunate to say that I grew up having a strong sense of identity, cultural identity, um, but a lot of that, that may not be the case for a lot of other kids um, that come from, you know, a similar background as me. So I think that what's happening right now what, that we see with a lot of diaspora kids is that we're all struggling with a sense of cultural identity, whether mm -hmm. it's, you know, our own traditional identity or whether it's with like the home country that we go into and adapt into. Like I I remember growing up feeling as if I wouldn't I was never American enough or I was never Kachin enough. Mm -hmm. And what does it even mean to be Kachin, right? Or what does it even mm -hmm. mean to be American? What does it mean to be Burmese truly? Um it's tough for a lot of kids to identify and pick and choose or even like feel weird being the the in-between, you know, like as if they're they're not either or. So I think what's really needed in order to address this issue is also just to come together once again, like we do already in organizing and bring people together so that they can have that stronger sense of identity. And once we have collective identity, I truly believe that collective action can be taken. Looking at this issue as kind of the 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 inner outer perspective of, and I reference this kind of Burma bubble that those that that are that are in the movement, whether they're in the country or outside of it in some form, are are very committed and very connected. But you know, there's also been this concern, and one of the the 
podcast we had some time ago with Nander Minsway, who is a um, one of the main fundraisers for the NUG in Los Angeles. And she kind of spoke aloud a problem that many people have known about, but it hasn't really been in a public forum. And it resonated with a lot of members of the diaspora when she said it, which was this concern that that many of the fundraising and advocacy events that are happening are really being led by and led for Burmese. And there's there's not so much of... Uh, there's not as much of an engagement from um, local people in terms of where, you know, what country it's taking place in, in this case, the United States, as as it is those diaspora communities. And so a real effort of how do we involve, um, how do we make this not a Kachin struggle or a Chin struggle or, or, or a Karen struggle, et cetera, but a Burmese struggle and then not even a Burmese struggle, but how do we make this a human issue of, you know, human rights and democracy and all these universal values that that we hold dear and that should concern anyone living on this earth. How do we make that bridge? And we've explored a little bit of that in our platform. We had, um, we've had podcasts contrasting and exploring what's happening in Ukraine, what's happening in Iran, and, and have had ideas about being able to bring together activists from those countries, Hong Kong as well, um, that might be able to share tactics and strategies and as well as just boosting morale and talking about, you know, just the uh, reminding, reminding themselves of why they're doing what they're doing. And this thought was triggered by what both of you said, what Jade said about this on a personal level, this connection you're making with uh, someone from Yemen who is uh, is coming from a very different background and probably facing a very different challenge, but also holding those same ideals. And what Isaac was mentioning about the past work of Action Core. And so I think this question would address both of you in different ways, whether it's the more more personal connections that can be formed and forged by, by bringing people together from those different movements or whether it's something, um, whether it's looking more bird's eye perspective of, um, of, of the shape of these conflicts and the activism that emerges from them. That concern or that point that you really pointed out is, is super important because um, I myself have also like noticed this as well. And the answer to that, I feel like would be to, again, like, you know, uh, with these connections that we have with other uh, members from the or just other people, other ethnic groups, I think it's good to tag along to those issues. And not just tag along, but like show the intersections or show the parallels that exist and show how, although, you know, they come from different parts of the world, people, wherever they are, can be facing similar issues. And and really just, yeah, show what intersections exist because at the end of the day, uh, we all live in one planet. We all live in one world. Um, much of the problems that may be existing in say Burma are pretty you know similar to any problem that can exist elsewhere around the world whether it's through you know systemic um, injustice or even police brutality or racism you know all of these um, issues can definitely be pinpointed out and the intersections can be drawn and I feel like doing those kind of intersections and drawing those kind of intersections as well as um, you know putting these solidarity movements together I think that's what's really key and I remember having like um, a thought about this for such a long time to have some sort of solidarity campaign and it's difficult as as amazing as an idea it is I found that it's difficult to do unless you really have all hands on board and you really have to you know go through the nitty-gritty of like figuring out what schedules other people are going through or what kind of campaigns they have in mind Um, it's all about kind of bringing everything together like an orchestra you know it's hard to go out and it, as if you're on this as if you're this one player you know in a game you really have to get 
get all these links together, you know, get everyone's hands like held together truly and just figure out something, brainstorm together, have talks together. It takes time. It takes effort. Um, it's definitely not an overnight thing. So yeah, it's something that I hope to see um, in the near future, like really form uh, materialistically, if that makes sense. Um, and yeah, just like be able to have pictures for it or not just pictures, but beyond that, um, have real actual, you know, connections to show for it. I would add in that I have seen some amazing organizing happening across communities in the San Francisco Bay Area in California, where for Human Rights Day on December 10th for the last few years, folks have come together across diaspora communities from Filipinos, Yemenis, from other groups as well, who have come together and called out the U.S.'s foreign policy that has really supported dictatorships, supported genocide. And it's been amazingly powerful just to see the energy when groups do come together like that. That the, A march that didn't have so many thousands of people, you know, it wasn't thousands of people, it was hundreds, if anything. And they got coverage in mainstream media. They had There was an energy and a synergy with, with groups coming together and a learning that happens. So any opportunity that we can find to support one another's causes and struggles is so important. And I think we have a common, there's a commonality here, which is if we look at U.S. foreign policy, that's it really prioritizes geopolitical domination, control. And, you know, after that is an interest in commercial uh, uh, relations. And then finally, if it makes the list at all, is democracy and human rights. Mm -hmm. And so, so it's important for those of us who care about democracy and human rights to call this out and to see how our, the struggles are connected mm -hmm. and to help make this higher on the list. And, you know, it's amazing what the coalition in the United States for Myanmar, the U.S. Advocacy Coalition, achieved last year with the December 2022 passage of the Burma Act in the National Defense Authorization Act. I mean, the fact that is, is that this was um, the, argu arguably the, the most significant, most robust action that the U.S. Congress has taken on Myanmar in 15, 19 years. Mm -hmm. it, that was the result of grassroots organizing. It was coalitions that formed across all 50 states in the United States the march of thousands of people who gathered in Washington for the Save Myanmar March in August of 2021, and the advocacy work that came out of that, the dozens and dozens of meetings with U.S. Senate offices covering nearly every state, uh, the relationships that were built with members of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. And, you know, the, I remember seeing pictures where Jade was in, was meeting with you know, having a happy hour with these uh, high high profile U.S. senators, um, and that sort of uh, movement building was incredible to watch. And you know, it was it was awesome to see the involvement of religious institutions as well. I, you know, my understanding is that there are about three hundred thousand people of Myanmar descent living in the United States, mm -hmm. and the vast majority are Christian and belong to denominations that have influence in Congress. And that ability to help move U.S. Senate offices was key in getting this uh, legislation through a Congress and signed into law by the president. And now what we're trying to do is just get that, what 
the Biden, it, what Biden has pledged and what he's spoken about, we're just trying to get that uh, accomplished and make sure that the actions match the words. Mm-hmm. Right. And this goes along with something, Isaac, that you wrote uh, as uh, as notes preparing for this interview. I want to read these words back and maybe you can unpack them and share a bit how they relate to what you just said. You describe the work of Action Corps as we punch above our weight by building coalitions. So can you describe in the context of what you're sharing now and in what way that phrase animates your work? Sure. So you know, Action Corps is we're, we're volunteers in about 30 states, and we have slightly over one full-time staff member. So we, um, mm. what, what, what we have found is that when we bring people together from a, different states, from different organizations, that's where we find power because everybody has something to bring to the table. And I'm remembering a meeting that we had with the staff of Senator Arish, who is the senior Republican member of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. And we, there were a couple people on the call from Idaho, who's the state uh, that he represents in Congress. And then there are also a couple of folks who are uh, from ethnic groups in Burma. And the staff member says, ask some question, some technical question or some sort of pushback. And the, the person who is uh, one of the people whose family is from Burma said, you know, I know very little about legislation but I do know a lot about suffering. And that, that was so powerful to have his voice part of that conversation. You know, we had a, had a meeting with um, Senator Mitch McConnell's staff where we brought together folks from Jewish, Christian, uh, Kentucky, uh, Myanmar diaspora groups to have this meeting. And it was that coalition, the diverse perspectives that were in the room that really helped to make, make our message um, really powerful. And so that's, that's why we, we need to everybody and we need all of the, the different groups that can come together to speak up on this issue. Mm, so staying on that topic of message that gets to the question of narrative and narrative is so important. Narrative really is what drives things forwards. You can have facts and news and analysis and commentary and all those things, but they they don't really move the needle unless they're tied together and bound by dynamic storytelling. Because at the end of the day, everyone loves a story. And and what you just shared about the 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 phrase of the person saying, I don't know legislation, but I know suffering, that's a story. That's storytelling. You know, that's something that, that breaks through and emerges. And I think one of the challenges that has also been faced specifically in Burma is what is the narrative? Because, you know, the, 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 the one big roadblock to it is that for years it did have a consistent narrative. It, you know, it was a bit reductionist and it ignored a lot of what was really happening, but the narrative was centered around the perceived nobility of Aung San Suu Kyi. And then as the Rohingya crisis developed and there was her role in it and that fell through and there was a sense of people felt betrayed and confused by what happened. And then there was this vacuum of if that's not the narrative, what is it? And in some ways, the narrative still became that. It still became, you know, Myanmar was reduced to uh, Aung San Suu Kyi's role in the the Rohingya crisis. And that really, really harmed, uh, especially after the coup going through today, what kinds of messages and engagements we can have with those, uh, with that narrative. And I've heard another concern that, um, 
uh, in terms of the diaspora communities, wanting to bring them together under a bigger tent rather than having the different ethnic groups advocating and lobbying for their personal interests, um, understandably, as a group who's been persecuted for so long, but something that is is a wider coalition of of many different groups and voices coming together. And so I guess this question, and, and we can ask uh, Jade this, um, what challenges do you see with the narrative of trying to bring engagement and interest in Myanmar to uh, wider local engagement across this country, at least, people to want to understand and to care? Um, some challenges I've seen are that there really is, I would say, a misunderstanding of the real issues of what's going on at hand on the ground. Um, like you said, with the, you know, um, just the framing of like the entire narrative of the issues that are going on. Let's start with that. I think the real issue, just to be clear, is that it's really been the persecution of ethnic minorities for decades. And it's yeah. it's just been that from the start, and it continues mm-hmm. to be that today. And right. any other narrative that counters that is, or or any other narrative that kind of skews that, or do, it doesn't match along with those lines, I think is just, it's not right. It's just very inaccurate. It's misleading. And I would say um, in order to really be able to, you know, I guess counter this or fix this narrative is, just allow people to understand that um, these people have been suffering for a long time and what's really needed is just help. Um, And I think the problem is people don't seem to care enough because it doesn't seem relevant to their day-to-day issues or maybe it seems just too far away. When in reality, you have to point out that, like Isaac also mentioned, we have 300,000, you know, diaspora members here in this country alone. Let's make it real, you know, let's make it personal. Let's make it um, as if these are our neighbors, that we have relatives living here on the ground in the country and that they're not too far. They're not actually like across the world as we imagine it to be or they're not as far as we think they are. Um, A lot of people just are yearning for this freedom and democracy that the United States does have, you know, as, as much as we do have our own issues here. But um there's just a lot of clearing of the mind that we and not clearing of the mind but just like we just need a lot more unity around this issue and i think because burma is also so divided it's hard to get this sense of unity and it's hard to get this um sense of like a single narrative that really boils down to the truth um it's not just about one lady um it's not just about the rohingya but it's really about everyone, all these ethnic minorities, including the Rohingya, that have been persecuted um, under the Myanmar military because of this um, this power vacuum that, you know, kind of came into place due to colonialism. You know, it dates back to that. So a lot of the problems and issues that we're seeing today stem back from a long history of just persecution. And also, in addition to that, it's like not having enough education because there's because you have generations of people being uneducated. You have a whole group of people that are stuck in a certain mindset that cannot allow them to move forward. Mm-hmm. So I would say education is completely key. One of the key things to allow people to get out of this. And, you know, with education, we see better narratives. So I would say 
that's that's where the power of raising awareness comes in, and that's where the power of grassroots comes in. What Isaac is doing, what all of our other um, friends in Action Corps and USACM and all these other coalition groups are doing, I think that's that's why we say we we see a lot of power in these groups. Mm, right, and I want to also refer back to another thing that Nandar Minswe said in our conversation, where she talked about Burmese cultural patterns, and she referenced how there's a Burmese cultural tendency to not want to show your pain and to want to go to work smiling and then come home and cry, and that that Burmese cultural tendency has been very counterproductive in terms of in in American context of wanting to uh, to be vulnerable and open up and reveal the depths of the pain and trauma that are occurring. And it's only by doing that, that, that others who aren't attuned or aware of what's happening can come in. That's, I mean, that's one of the main purposes of the podcast platform we have, aside from the, the more content interviews we have, but to be able to speak to a variety of people and, and really have that platform of sharing and opening and, and having a greater human insight into what, it, what things actually feel like. And, uh, and, and I know this is a, this could be a generalized thing to say, and, and there are different, different ethnic communities and different generations, and, and it depends on how long one has been in one culture versus another. But to what degree would you, uh, referring back to Nandar's words of this kind of Burmese cultural characteristic of being a bit more um, modest in, in revealing one's difficulties, to what degree do you think this has impacted the engagement and awareness of um, uh, to outside communities about what's really happening. Um, I think it does play a role to some degree um, because again, culture is all inside the mind, right? And with the mind, you carry this mindset with you anywhere you go, no matter where you are. So even in the United States, I would say some families, they, they may, like um play into that mindset by just um carrying on with their daily lives um you know just working as if the suffering is all on their own um and perhaps this is the reason why it's hard to get any organizing done in a sense because everyone at least immigrants you know are just going by day to day living their immigrant lives um, focusing on putting food on the table, you know, basic necessities like that, um, mm. getting kids through school, um, just making enough money to survive. Because what I've noticed also, even in my own parents, is that sometimes there does tend to be this survival mentality that um, adults in the older generation carry, um, simply because that's the mentality that they came in with to America, mm -hmm. you know, having to start over again from scratch not having any connections. And even with myself growing up in the United States, I would say I had quite a unique experience where um, I, I would say I didn't feel American enough because we were in this really sheltered community, a bubble. Like um, every Sunday it would be like going to our Burmese church. And still to this day, I still attend, you know, Burmese churches. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm surrounded very much by the Burmese community because that's how I was raised. And it's mm -hmm. really weird once you step out of that bubble because that's all you know. Mm -hmm. um, but for a lot of the older generation, they tend to be in these bubbles because that's their comfort, that's their safety, that's their, that's their, you know, that's just their network, like where sure. they can just bounce back on any time. And even within these networks, though, um, it seems as if they're all just there for one another, like to be there in physical presence, but not so much mentally or psychologically, if that makes sense. Um, because I don't think they were ever taught that way. There, there mm -hmm. is definitely a huge lack of um, mental health awareness inside the country so 
you can't ever expect anyone who comes from Burma to, you know, suddenly open up in American terms, yeah. right? Or just right. suddenly become American overnight. Um, I, I would say a lot of people who do come from Burma and have lived a lot of their years over there come with already a fixed mindset. That's mm-hmm. really hard to undo unless they're really open for it. And it's hard because um, I don't think it, it really is an individual basis, but from what I've observed, a lot of people tend not to come with an open mind as much just because they feel that their age limits them from, you know, continuing to learn more or grow more, where I, I would really disagree. But, you know, again, it's all uh, about perception and about the mindset, uh, which goes back to the culture that we carry. I guess that also highlights the real critical role that this younger generation and diaspora can be playing in knowing the culture, knowing the suffering, and also knowing the the culture they've adapted to and the ways of expression and, and, and medium and being able to try to be that bridge and educator of um, that, uh, because really these, these voices have to get out in a, in a bigger way. There have to, there have there to, to bring this engagement. There has to be some process of, of constructing this narrative or having these voices come and, and educating people on um, not just the facts, but again, going back to that dynamic storytelling in some form and storytelling doesn't mean you, tell a formal story from start to finish. I go back to what Isaac said, saying that that's a, just a beautiful quote of, we don't know legislation, but we know suffering. Just those are things that can turn a light bulb on. So I, I wonder how, um, how those voices can be more harnessed and, and, and shared to be able to draw people in. You know, I'll chime in here that I have been in meetings with U.S. senators who really didn't seem particularly interested in hearing about the crisis that we were talking about. You know, who even senior U.S. senators who, when we mentioned Burma, they said, you know, or the Burma Act, they said, well, you know, there are over 200 countries. I can't worry about all of them, that Mm -hmm. kind of feeling. Mm -hmm. But I have seen that when people who are from the country in question speak, there's a moral authority and credibility that nobody else in that room has. Hmm. And I've, I've seen U.S. senators take the business, ask for the business cards of people from the country that we were talking about. And that's, um, you know, that's unusual for a U.S. senator to ask, oh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'd like to, to build a follow-up, who, who bumped into colleagues of ours in Washington and said, you know, Someone from Yemen, when we were talking about Yemen, came to my office and they were they were moved by the story. So, you know, I would I would hope that people who are listening to this would never underestimate the the power of your story, the power of your voice in potentially moving somebody in a very powerful role. Mm. And you know, despite the challenges that you and Jade have have mentioned in organizing and, and storytelling, you know, the fact is, is that people from Burma and the children of people from Burma played a major role in moving legislation through the U.S. Congress when the pe- people in Congress were paralyzed. They, could, they couldn't move. They, they were these mm. interpersonal and partisan conflicts mm-hmm. were preventing any movement on this Burma legislation. And after over a dozen years, we got the most, the strongest legislation that's come mm. out of Congress in all that time. At a very, at a time when it's, very uh, partisan with a whole lot of division, but it was activists, it was advocates, folks like Jade who organized people across the country to move this legislation. 
So to me, that's incredibly inspiring and mm-hmm. incredibly important for us to celebrate those successes along the way. Mm-hmm. And I could imagine, you know, if you're in, if you're experiencing the persecution, you're feeling experiencing the crisis, or your family is, it might be hard to think about celebrating at this time. Yeah, but it is important for us to acknowledge the really, really important work that people from Burma and, and their children have done in in this country in, in in just recent months in moving legislation. And you know, I I, I think it's important for us to not stop because obviously sure. there's a whole lot more needed, and we need the Biden administration to use its leverage for a democratic uh, governance in Burma, a return to that and and ending the violent military coup. And the, the, the Biden administration has leverage it could be using. Um, it's it's said the right, Biden has said the right things. We just need to see the Biden administration actually enact those targeted sanctions on the Myanmar military. We need to make sure that the United States stops selling you know, the aviation fuel that's being used by the Myanmar, the junta. We need to make sure that uh, the United States is having integrity here and not being complicit in the crimes that are being committed. Um, the United States has incredible amount of power, and, and that's why we're organizing to increase it's the number of senators who are on Senate Resolution 20 condemning the coup and calling for the release of people who've been detained, the return to democratic governance. That's why People anywhere in the United States could can be asking their senators to to join this resolution. It's a bipartisan resolution, and there are several Democrats on there. We'd like to see more Republicans, so we're focused on some key offices. Um, but folks in any country here, you know, especially in, in the UK, in uh, the in Europe, can be advocating for in their own governments for. Uh, for um, laws that are in solidarity with the, the democratic movements and the people who are living in Burma. Hmm. You've referenced just the power of grassroots local activism and, and lobbying and organization, how much that's done to get where we are now in terms of this conflict as well as others. And looking ahead, what could be done in the U.S. and other countries that could continue to build and follow up and really empower those people listening, those people everywhere that might feel they're just one person and can't do much in the conflict around the world. But you're saying that they can. You're saying that there's a track record of that success. And so, and you've described some of those things and some of those ways they can do. Was there, is there anywhere else you wanted to expand on that or, or to, to flesh out where and how people can be involved and, and, and do something that could move the needle a little bit? Sure. Well, first of all, people in the United States can visit actioncore.org slash Burma, which and take action there to reach out to their member of the United States Senate about the legislation that's it's in the Senate. Um, that's actioncore.org and core is spelled C-O-R-P-S. Um, so we, ha- we have an action opportunity there, or a, a form that people can fill out to send a letter. Um, and, and folks, anybody anywhere in the world can visit our website and, and support our organization either financially or taking action with our campaign. Um, that's that's one thing that people can do. People can also get uh, be talking in their religious communities, in their community, in their schools, in their workplace, getting people to be aware of the crisis and um, taking action, meeting with their members of Congress. There's opportun- the opportunities for organizing are endless. And I've been, I've been, I've loved seeing some of Jade's work, the creativity, the, um, the TikTok videos, the Instagram 
post, you know, the, the way that people have been able to use creativity and connection um, to build awareness about the crisis that's, that's going on. Mm, thanks for that. And for Jade, what, what would you like to see? What's helpful from the international community, not in terms of large-scale organizations or governments, but just in terms of foreign allies, in terms of people that that feel a sense of sorrow and um, and and a wish for engagement in what's happening with Myanmar, with the democracy movement, and are not exactly sure the best way they can be involved on on just a human to human level. Well, I would say um, since a lot of people are on social media these days, social media is a great tool to raise awareness about what's happening in Burma. A simple share, you know, to your story of a post from, let's say, Action Corps or wherever else, like um, even my own Instagram, at Jingpot, uh, Jade or I think it's JJ. Yeah, um, just, just sharing any posts you see about Burma, really, um, to your stories, that helps a lot. And in addition to that, resharing posts helps a lot too and then if you want to climb up the ladder there's always this ladder of action where after you do those kind of little actions on social media you can also go as far as um, signing petitions online and again like this is all from the comfort of your home you don't have to go anywhere you just go online you can see you can even do a simple google search of all these um and then see what kind of Burma organizations exist, um, typing in, you know, Burma organizations. From the top of my head, I can say that there's ICR, International Campaign for Rohingya. Uh, there's GM4MD, Global Movement for Myanmar Democracy. Um, there's US Action Corps. There's also USACM available on Facebook. A bunch of different organizations you can see that will pop up that have lots of um, actions for you to take in terms of petitions. And beyond petitions, you, if you want to really take a step up, you can join in the meetings that Isaac and I are organizing with Senate and House offices um, to really push for legislation that will have a bigger impact globally. So that's what I would recommend for anyone who wants to, um, you know, just get their feet wet in the advocacy space or just take a simple action and start to... Um, you know, engage with these issues. I would also say, in addition to that, just get to know people. You know, if you have any neighbors around mm. you that happen to be from the Myanmar community, they're everywhere. They're scattered all around. I mean, it, mm -hmm. Isaac even mentioned how we have uh, an action core member from, uh, I believe it was Indiana, right? Um, there's a yep. lot of uh, Chin people in, that live in Indiana. There's also a huge mm -hmm. population of people who live in the D.C. metropolitan area. We even have a church that I go to. You know, you're always welcome to stop by and anyone who's interested in getting to know the community. Um, I feel mm -hmm. like these are honestly, the, that is the most uh, powerful way to get to know people. Like when you just talk with them in conversation, you learn so much more by being in person with someone than you would ever like online. Um, just by, you know, seeing how the mannerisms are, seeing, just getting a vibe of the people, you know, and, and just even sharing food together um, in these kind of church settings, like mm. it helps a lot to just on a human to human level, get to know them and get to know their stories so that you really understand where they're coming from, why they act the way they do, um, why, why all this suffering is even happening in the first place. Um, so yeah, that's what I would recommend. Mm, yeah, I think that's great. And I think it's really just, uh, it just really takes one kind of spark to 
to make someone see why this is something they should care about. And again, that I just keep saying it, it goes back to this storytelling and storytelling can be long form or it could be just a couple of words that that create that spark. And I, I guess it would be interesting to check in with Isaac and uh, if there was a moment that create that you could remember that created that spark for you or what led you to want to be involved and care about this issue as someone who I don't believe has really spent a lot of time in Myanmar per se. Yeah, I've actually never been to Myanmar. But when I was a child, somebody came to my class and spoke about surviving the Holocaust. Mm. And he had been in a Nazi death camp. He showed us the number on his arm and he told us horrific stories. And I think I kind of promised myself after that, that if I were ever in a position where I knew about some genocide that were happening or mm. some catastrophe like that, that was, was harming my fellow human beings that was going on, I would, you know, that I would do everything that I could to stop that. Mm. And, you know, once you find out about this per the persecution of ethnic peoples in, in Burma or the the violence that's happening against the, the collective communal violence that's happening, you can't unknow that. Yeah. And so, you know, my I think of course we'd love for listeners to visit actioncore.org and take action for the our Burma work and you know, actioncore.org slash Burma and we welcome support. Uh, but the my most important message that I would want people to hear is that, especially for the folks who are listening from who are in Burma or whose families are in Burma, is that you're not alone, mm. that you're not forgotten, that we um, are going to keep fighting in solidarity with you for as long as we are able or in as long as there's a need. So that's that's my message is that you're not alone. Thank you. Mm. Yeah, certainly. And I, I echo that as well. I echo that as, as also through the nonprofit Better Burma that we run, which has a number of humanitarian projects on the ground, as well as this media podcast platform, the hundreds of guests that we have on, the tens of thousands of listeners that have tuned in, taken their time to want to learn and want to hear. And I know it can certainly feel very alone in terms of the international community's response and the burden that is placed on the shoulders of those few people that are that are still striving for these noble goals and resisting the military and and yet that's also a persistent message that, that we hope these kind of conversations can bring people together as as guests and speakers and listeners that that there is this community who cares and that is showing up even though it's sometimes not as visible as we all would like it to be very much so just want to say thanks so much for um taking the time to talk with us and shed light on Burma issues because Again, this is so needed. Like you said, it's not given enough international attention um, or in the media specifically. Um, so yeah, I'm just really grateful for this time that we had. Um, I hope that we all can use this uh, time to continue thinking about ways to help Burma and the people on the ground. And for um, anyone who's listening also, just to feel encouraged that there are people out here who are trying to make a difference and that you can too. And no one is ever alone. Like our power really does come from coming together um, and yeah, just being in solidarity. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. 
As regular listeners are aware, we often remind our audience about our nonprofit mission, Better Burma, at the end of a show. Truth be told, fundraising is hard work, and I can personally attest to the fact that it's really no fun to keep asking for contributions. Yet, the situation on the ground now in Myanmar is so distressing that we continue to do so on behalf of the Burmese people. What is most helpful at this time are recurring donations, which help alleviate both the stress and time involved in fundraising. If you are able to pledge a certain amount per month, our team can plan around having at least a consistent minimum amount to work within each month. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are being impacted by the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Your donation will go on to support a wide range of humanitarian and media missions, aiding those local communities who need it most. Donations are directed to such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, Families of Deceased Victims, Internally Displaced Person IDP Camps, Food for Impoverished Communities, Military Defection Campaigns, Undercover Journalists, Refugee Camps, Monasteries and Nunneries, Education Initiatives, the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies, COVID relief, and more. We also make sure that our donation fund supports a diverse range of religious and ethnic groups across the country. We invite you to visit our website to learn more about past projects as well as upcoming needs. You can give a general donation or earmark your contribution to a specific activity or project you would like to support, perhaps even something you heard about in this very episode. All of this humanitarian work is carried out by our nonprofit mission, Better Burma. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is directed towards this fund. Alternatively, you can also visit the Better Burma website, betterburma.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause and both websites accept credit card. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to these respective accounts or email us at info at betterburma.org. That's Better Burma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A dot org. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. We also invite you to check out our range of handicrafts that are sourced from vulnerable artisan communities across Myanmar, available at alokacrafts.com. Any purchase will not only support these artisan communities, but also our nonprofit's wider mission. That's Aloka Crafts, spelled A-L-O-K-A-C-R-A-F-T-S, one word, alokacrafts.com. Thank you so much for your kind consideration and support. Oh, ba, yaranan, da, da, yaranan, yada, yaranan, yada, yaranan, boda, ba, yaranan,